Blog Talk Radio. And now we got our friends at the Vibrator Network here as well. And if you hear scratching, that's Nico. He's inside the castle. I built for them. Got a little bit of rustling around going on. There's paper in there that they'd like to play with and make noise with. Which they haven't played with for at least a week. It's not until we just moved it to do the show tonight that all of a sudden it's fascinating. Yeah, because, you know, it's in a new spot. Because cats. Yes. So, good evening. We got Jade. Jade, I think you're new. I don't think I've seen you on here before. Welcome to the show. And Patrick, happy Monday. Nice to see you. And yes, uh, their the kitty castle is uh, maybe not quite as uh, epic as a. Uh, it's three boxes taped together with holes in various locations for them to go in and out of. You know, when you get a large chewy order in, and the cats like boxes, <laughs> I get creative. But yeah, so uh, glad to be. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to see everybody. Uh, everybody here back with us. Yes. Glad to have Chris back. Yes, and uh, <laughs> here we are, just uh, on a dark and stormy evening with so some dark, dark and stormy, stormy, dark and stormy beverages. And uh, yeah, thank God it's a little cooler than it was this past weekend. I died. I died giving it to her. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. This is a ghostly apparition here. <laughs> it was hot. It was stinking hot. Uh, but it's just just uh, practicing for this summer. I, I don't like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was initiated into this company. I really don't like that. <laughs> but we love what we do. What we do. Yeah. So much so that we're here to go ahead and share some stories with you tonight. This time coming from the great state of Michigan. Yes, because we're heading back up north shortly. And so I'm like, well, we've done New York. So what's another northern place that's connected to all the waterways, and, well, I picked Michigan. Now, mind you, the closest we've come to visiting Michigan is connecting flights through Detroit. Yeah. So it's on the list. It's on the list. There's places there that I, I want to go check out the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll go up. Uh, we got There's some really cool places. We'll be talking about them tonight. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So this definitely got added to the We Must Road trip. Yes. So who knows? We'll get to, we'll get around to it eventually, and when we do, I'm sure we'll share some fun pictures. And I see the recipe for dark and stormy was posted. Thank yes. you. Now, admittedly, we are short the lines. So. Uh, yeah, I'm trying not to grocery shop right now. Yeah. Yes. So uh, this is um, all. This is is um, ginger beer and, and a darker rum and a dark rum, and uh, mix it all together, and it's quite tasty, and uh, you're supposed to do, uh, supposed to throw a little bit of lime in there. Yep. Yep. And uh, Jade, have, have we done Virginia yet? Well, uh, yes and no. We yes. have done, um, we haven't done a specific Virginia episode. We have we done. We have done like Williamsburg. We've done like little bitty points on Virginia. We've done um, Legends of Virginia mm-hmm. with um, the Capitol uh, Trail. Yeah. Line. Yep. So we there will be a Virginia one coming up because I've got tons of stuff. Yes. So we've we've hit a lot around the state of Virginia on some of our uh, uh, not necessarily place based but general topic based episodes. I think, uh, for example, one of the earliest ones we did, Haunted Highways, we touched on. We mentioned the 895 yeah, right down here, the Pocahontas Parkway. So uh, yeah. But yes, we uh, the plan is eventually to work around and uh, do every state. Get, get every state in there um, somewhere, work them in, in between with all the other miscellaneous episodes we do with uh, you know the stuff like the haunted amusements that's been the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Haunted think, libraries, which is coming up. I think we got another. Uh, you know, there's another haunted dolls going to be coming somewhere down the line. 
<laughs> I have nightmares when I research the creepy dolls, just so you all know. But they're awesome. Because they're freaky as all get out. And my mother has an entire career case full of She does. She does. But anyways, so yes. <laughs> but, oh, Jay, you live in the area. So yes, yeah, we uh, well, we're coming to see you live from downtown Richmond yep. here, Richmond, Virginia here. Um, but yeah, so uh, <laughs> we got you got Patrick's notes up now. Yeah, I guess I know where I'm going. Back. That well, we got the next few months worth of episodes. It'll be and, August or September. And I will <laughs> say, I'll mention right now, if you're not already signed up for our newsletter, um, you can just simply go to our website, hauntsofrichmond.com, and then right up at the top, there's a tab for newsletter. You can put in your information, and you'll get a heads up, uh, advance notice of the Facebook live shows that we got going on, all the, you know, what's going on with the tours, and we'll throw on some special other events. special events. And, and other whatever we well. decide to throw on for a story. Yeah, because okay. there's all kinds of good stuff out there. And let's see, Chris was actually at a um, market this weekend. Ah, yes, I was. I went down to a, uh, a, a fantastic little, um, not necessarily a thrift shop, uh, kind of a, an eclectic shop. They have a little bit of everything. Um, a very well curated collection of uh, vintage clothes and little knickknacks, uh, you know, their records, all kinds of good stuff down there. Um, place called the Flowers Cheetah. It's in uh, Chester, which is just 20 minutes down the road here from downtown Richmond. And uh, they had a curiosities market, and they reached out to us and invited us to participate, and we were very happy to get those. So he and Zoe were there. Yep. And thank you, Zoe, so much for stepping in because, again, Chris can't lift things right now, and I was working. Yeah, Zoe, Zoe was uh, was my, my muscle on Sunday, so thank you very much to Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, but, yeah. Uh, Hi, Donnie. Yes, yep. and Paris season is definitely going. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, it's cranking right up, and I'm doing well, Donnie. Thank you very much for asking. Um, I'm very happy to be able to be back on camera, and I'm uh, mobile. I'm up. I'm walking around. I was able to able to launch tours again. I'm just uh, now. You just can't lift things. I can't lift things, and I'm not walking very long distances. So I'm definitely not in the heat. Yeah, but uh, hopefully by uh, this time next week, I should be um, more or less back to 100 percent. So time will tell. But let's go ahead and get into Haunted Michigan. Yes. Uh, so this is a, a very interesting script, and we're actually going to start with a couple of cemeteries and asylums. Yeah. Yeah, first we'll go ahead. We'll set the stage for you as far as the state of Michigan itself. So Michigan is kind of a very unusual state in across the board, geography, all that good stuff. Um, you know, people look at the map of uh, Michigan like, why, why, why is it split? It's a little spot right what? over here what? when the main part's here. Yeah. So and there's water in between. Yeah. But it is what it is. And it's a, it, it, um, the place has 3,200 miles of coastline. I mean, that's more like the, like the state of Florida, which you think about the state of Florida, and it's just basically a big peninsula. No, Michigan has more shoreline than the state of Florida. Yes. So, and it is a popular place to have, like, your summer houses and that sort of thing, because it's cool on the lake. Yeah. Now, what it also has that you don't necessarily find in Florida is it actually has rolling mountains as well. It has a, has a, a lot of, um, you know, very significant peaks in the state, not necessarily like the Rocky Mountains, but it has mountains. And you'll also find thick woodlands. And uh, generally speaking, Michigan's just kind of like it's a nature lover's paradise. It is. Um, and it also has a history as a commercial powerhouse uh, with vast natural resources, numerous major trade hubs, and the headquarters of several globally recognized companies. 
So with so much going on in the state uh, since it joined the United States 185 years ago, it's a little surprised that some aspects of its deep history still echo through to the current day in the form of plentiful spine-chilling hauntings. Am I diving with the first story? I get to diving with the first story. Because I'm distracting the maker. Yep, so as uh, as Beth kind of already hinted at, we uh, we get to go ahead and kick things off with a cemetery. And uh, this is... Uh, in the city of Westland, and it's just uh, the city as it is. It's almost more like a suburb of uh, Detroit. It's about 15 miles to the west of Detroit, and the community has roots dating back to the early 1800s. But it didn't really grow into an urban center until the years after World War II, and for over a century, the land that now comprises Westland was mostly rural countryside. Now, back in 1832, a local farmer named William Ganong donated a portion of his property to found one of the earliest cemeteries in the area. The cemetery would come to be known as William Ganong Cemetery, and the land would be the home of 350 deceased individuals who now call this their final resting place, and it is closed to new burials today. Now, among those buried are 25 of the Ganong family, several World War I, World War II veterans, one veteran of the Mexican-American War, and numerous Freemasons. Albert Ganong, who perished at Richmond's Libby Prison, yes, there is a uh, local connection here in Richmond, uh, he perished in the Libby Prison at the age of 17, is among the veterans that are buried there. Now, despite its relatively small size, the William Ganong Cemetery is one of the most well-known cemeteries in the entire state of Michigan. Its fame is rooted in the countless claims of paranormal encounters. The most common occurrence at the cemetery is the sighting of a gorgeous blonde woman in white who appears and whose story begins in 1980. Always a woman in white. Yeah, but fairly recent story. Now, 42 years ago, uh, this historic graveyard uh, gained its notoriety when a well-known area psychic named Marian Kluko paid the cemetery a visit. While walking the cemetery, Kuklo, also known by her Wiccan name, Gundala, thought that she saw a blonde wig lying on the ground. In fact, it turned out to be a woman's scalp. As she got closer, she also saw a bone sticking up through the earth, and nearby, pieces of an old coffin neatly stacked in a pile, as well as bits of what may have been a white satin dress. The authorities thought a heavy rain must have washed the casket up, or it was dug up by animals. Not long after Gundola's visit and discovery, a driver was killed when he veered off the road just outside the cemetery. This unfortunate driver wouldn't be the last to wreck at the cemetery. As a matter of fact, he was the first of many. As accidents piled up, drivers who walked away from their ordeals described a woman in white who would appear in front of them in the road. Locals familiar with Gundola's grisly findings put two plus two together and attributed the woman in white to the defiled grave. They also started to refer to the accident-prone area as the bad curve. In addition to her traffic-stopping appearances, the beautiful blonde woman in white has also been seen gliding through the graveyard before fading away like a mist in the morning sun. She is sometimes seen being accompanied by a man in a gray uniform. The accidents and spectral appearances are not the most chilling encounters to be had at William Ganong Cemetery. Paranormal investigators who frequent the area have often reported screams echoing across the cemetery at night. The cemetery also played host to ritualistic and 
disrespectful, let's be clear about this, activity on at least one occasion. In 2000, a kettle with bones, feathers, and charms was reportedly found at the cemetery, along with having numerous gravestones painted with pentagrams. Please, no. just don't. Nothing good will come of this. Now, in recent years, the cemetery has become overgrown with weeds and grass and is eerie even in broad daylight. While not completely neglected, it can undoubtedly use some more TLC. Additional slights to the sanctity of the cemetery have come with more modern development. A mobile home park has encroached on the boundaries of the cemetery, and some residents believe that their homes were placed over the graves whose headstones had crumbled away or were otherwise removed, but the bodies remain behind. Many believe that this additional disturbance to the sacred ground could be what has stirred up additional activity in the cemetery, including the sounds of disembodied footsteps, whispers, weeping, and more. Now, if you're inclined to visit the cemetery, you are welcome to do so during the day. The only request is that you respect the grounds, the neighbors, and those who find this plot of land to be their final resting place. Again, that's William Ganong Cemetery in Westland, Michigan, just a little outside of Detroit. Yep. Now, for our next stop, we're not going to be going too far. Yeah. Kind of just down the street, but kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Eloise Asylum and the Eloise Cemetery in Westland. It's only about a mile north to the north of the uh, William Gong uh, Cemetery. And uh, it's referred to the former large hospital complex that operates from 1839 to 1984. The facility originally started out as a poorhouse uh, and <clears throat> farm, but eventually they developed into an asylum and a hospital. It has gone by many names over the years, the Wayne County Poorhouse in 1832, Wayne County Almshouse in 1872, and the Wayne County House in 1886. By the end of the 1800s, the name Eloise had been adopted for the community, which had, which had in turn derived from the name of a post office that was on the ground. The post office had been named for the postmaster's daughter, Eloise Dickerson Babbock. By 1813, there were three divisions. The Eloise Hospital, which handled the mental care such as it was at the time, and we've talked about this before. The Eloise Infirmary, with historic ties back to the poorhouse, and the Eloise Sanatorium that served as a tuberculosis facility. The three divisions were collectively called Eloise, and in 1945, it was renamed again to the Wayne County General Hospital and Infirmary at Eloise, Michigan. At its height, Eloise consisted of 78 buildings and 902 acres. It was almost self-sufficient. It had its own police, fire department, railroad, and trolley stations a bakery, an amusement hall, laundries, and a powerhouse. It also had many farm buildings, including a dairy herd and a dairy barns, a piggery, a root cellar, a tobacco curing uh, building, and, of course, employee housing. As with many facilities of this nature, the cemetery was established nearby to bury the many patients who died there and had no known relatives or whose relatives were unwilling or unable to claim them. Eloise Cemetery was populated with the Excuse me. The deceased patients from the infirmary division, the general hospital, the tuberculosis sanatorium, and the psychiatric division. About 7,100 people were buried at Eloise Cemetery between 1910 and 1948. Only a number of blocks identified the graves. 
1948, all unclaimed bodies were sent to Wayne State University College of Medicine, and no further burials were made there. The cemetery is currently closed to the public and maintained by the Friends of Eloise. The psychiatric division closed in 1977, and the remainder of the healthcare facility was shuttered in 1984. But something still remains. Much of the land that Eloise stood on has been redeveloped with the notable exception of the cemetery. Only four of Eloise's buildings remain. The building, or the K-Beard building, the old com uh, com commissary, building shelter, the old bakery, and the powerhouse. The Walter P. Ruther Psychiatric Hospital, operated by the Michigan Department of Community Health, located near the northwest end of the former Eloise property, operates today in the stead of the old Eloise Psychiatric Facility. Other sections of the grounds have been claimed for the development of a strip mall, a golf course, and condominium. The only widespread undeveloped area that is neglected and nearly forgotten is the cemetery. As much as Wayne County Commissioners may want to market this property, apparently the presence of over 7,000 burials is not considered a strong selling point. can't understand why. Yeah. We know what happens when you build on top of bodies. It's never good. Visit Savannah. You'll figure it out. I, I got I to give props to Savannah. I mean, I mean yeah. Well, give them props on one hand, and on the other hand, ask them, what were you thinking you have massive burial, burial pits, what were you thinking? But you also have full-time archaeologists on your, you know. Basically, any time a spade hits the ground in Savannah, there's going to be an archaeologist there. Because they're going to find bones. It's a given. All right, back to our cemetery. <laughs> Tangent. <laughs> yes, back to Michigan. Sorry. <laughs> then, of course, there are the hauntings. People have encountered all types of paranormal phenomenon across the grounds of Eloise. Apparitions of deceased patients, the screams and moans of those same souls. And aside from the sightings and the sounds, of course, some who try to investigate the old facility claim that a sixth sense leaves them with an inexplicable and unsettling feeling of being watched by unseen eyes. With so much activity, it has been frequently visited by paranormal groups hoping to have an encounter of their own. Even amongst the most seasoned investigators, the activity at Eloise can sometimes be too much. As re recently as 2019, a group of investigators was chased from the facility. The group was inside Eloise conducting a geo box section when one of the members noticed a shadowy figure off to the side. As they walked over to the area to investigate it, an old vinyl record flew off of a shelf, covered in the air for a moment, and then smashed onto the floor. That was enough to send the group out of there for the evening. After years of trying to sell off their remaining buildings for redevelopment, it was just this last fall that Eloise was purchased. However, unlike the early ideas of condos or retirement community, Eloise reopened its doors as a haunted attraction. Today, people can visit Eloise on that. Thank you. Today, you can visit Eloise. Um, during the daytime for a history tour, participate in an escape room, or join the paranormal investigation. There's also the seasonal haunted house as well. At this point, it's still too early to know what resident spirits think of Eloise and the recent changes, but we're sure to hear more about this in the months and the years to come. Any good questions? I saw there was a suggestion of a place for July 4th sometime. Uh, the Virginia... Looking for the Virginia Battlefield at 
Getty, oh, Gettysburg. Oh, the um, Gettysburg. Reenactment. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 And they also have the um, battlefield. Um, when 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 is the um, they do the paracon up there? Do they do it during uh, the reenactment? Uh, no. 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 But we close to there, but yeah, we, we love, would love to get up there. We love Gettysburg, and we heck, we did an episode on Gettysburg last summer. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it was close. It was right before the anniversary. Yeah. Yep. So we did a haunted Gettysburg. I think it was the end of last June or something like that, coming up on the anniversary of uh, the battle. Yep. So, yep, yeah, we've been up there a number number of times, taken a few ghost tours up there, and explored not quite every corner of the battlefield because it's huge. huge but, but we've explored a good portion of it. Yes. Um, there's the horror con that's up there, the monster con. Yes, um, which is the the, the horror movies um, where um, Scares the Care yeah. Joe always goes up and you oh, know yeah. reps uh, Scares the Care there. Yeah. So. so. Which, well, actually, Scarcely Care is one of the main beneficiaries of it, right? Yeah. It's like a, yeah. So, everybody loves Scarcely Care. you got to love Scarcely Care because they're awesome. And we do sponsor them ourselves. Yes, we do. So, let me see. I let it be known we every day walk on the graves of our ancestors. Yes, this is very do. true. All too true. Yeah, because, um. Yeah, going back you know, many, many, many generations, you never... You don't know exactly what's here. I mean, we're close to a battlefield ourselves. Yep. Literally six blocks from the house. So. Yeah, and that's, well, the battlefield that we know of. Yeah. And, we um, could be on part of it we don't know about. Yeah. Relatively speaking, it was a, not, it was kind of a relatively anticlimactic battle, if you will. Oh, no, I'm talking the massacre. Oh, oh, that one, yes. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, yeah, was it uh, Murder Run or whatever? Bloody Run. Bloody, Bloody Run. Run, yes. Yeah, there's that little historic marker over at the uh, end of uh, Libby Hill Terrace there. Yeah, very small historic marker that she can a they larger one. They need a plaque. Yeah, maybe we'll get there one day. We can put it for it. Maybe we need to start advocating for that. Shall we? Shall we, yes. So, uh, I get the, the fun name. Sagatuck? <laughs> Sagatuck. So, yes. So, so, this is a mansion I want to go to, by the way. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is on the west side of Michigan. So, uh, it's on the shores of uh, the state's namesake lake. So, on the shores of Lake Michigan. And uh, it's there that you'll find the city of Sagatuck and the opulent Felt Mansion. Now, the Felt Mansion features unique fixtures, including intricate mahogany woodwork, original hardwood floors, and Art Deco-style colorful tile. Across three spacious floors, you'll find an impressive foyer, a formal dining room, a library. I mean, like a real, real library. We can't even have a library here that you can't see behind the camera. It's a wall of bookshelves, which it's is cool. It's one of the things that sold us on the house, by yes, the way. We, we, we like it. We like it a lot. And there's bookshelves in almost every room of the house. Yeah. Because that's who we are. But we want a library where we can put one of those rolling ladders, and I can do a bell moment. <laughs> I just want to do that. So anyway, so yes, this uh, mansion also has a parlor featuring mahogany, fireplace mantle, and a variety of family bedrooms and bathrooms. The mansion dates back to the early 1900s, when Door Felt was drawn to the pristine beauty of West Michigan's coastline. Mr. Phelps was a self-made millionaire, made famous by his invention of the comp, uh, comptometer, which performed basic math functions that allowed businesses to improve their bookkeeping skills and speed. 
He decided to establish an estate where he, his wife Agnes, and their four daughters and their families could summer. Mr. Felt developed the dune land into a 1,000-acre farm with a beach house, carriage house, farmhouse, and even a petting zoo. In 1925, Doors started construction on Felt Mansion, affectionately known as Agnes's House. Now, taking uh, three years to build, Mr. Feltz paid attention to every detail, creating a magnificent home that continues to impress people today. Sadly, in August of 1928, only six weeks after the family moved into the home, Agnes passed away, and Dor joined her a year and a half later. The Feltz family retained the mansion until 1949, but after World War II decided to sell the Shore Acres Farm. Following the departure of the Feltz family in 1949, the St. Augustine Seminary, a Catholic prep school for young men, purchased the mansion and grounds. The carriage house was used for classrooms, while the mansion was used for housing. After several years of growth, the seminary built a school on the ridge west of the mansion, and a group of nuns lived in the mansion. In the late 1970s, the state of Michigan purchased the property to use as a prison. We're really kind of taking some pretty drastic swings here. That just must be a nice-looking prison. Yeah. A portion of the mansion was used during these years as offices for the state police. No, the convicts were not actually housed in the prison. They weren't. You mean in the mansion? In the mansion. Yeah. In the prison. Sure, we'll go with that. They weren't housed in them. The mansion was not used as a prison. I'm glad one of us is halfway conscious here. Okay. Yeah. The state owned the grounds until the early 1990s when Lake Town, Lake Town Township purchased the land for $1 with the stipulation that the mansion is used for the public, not sold or used for private enterprise. Gorgeous and historic, the Door E. Felt Mansion is a true delight for visitors. However, this ex seminary and carriage house is said to be haunted by ghosts, shadow people, and other terrifying creatures that are said to lurk the halls. Now, amongst the creatures that are said to linger in the Felt Mansion are the melon heads. Yes, that's not a typo. I did say that correctly. Melon heads. So, while the name may elicit a giggle, their description is anything but amusing. American folklore describes melon heads as small humanoids with an abnormally large bald head. It's said that melon heads were children affected by uh, hydrocephalus. Yeah, I, I, it's something that came up, um, it was very prominent in the news just a few years ago because it's a uh, um, side effect or additional symptom of um, pregnant women who caught Zika. Yeah. Their children would unfortunately wind up having Yes, the head was, yeah. I saw the pictures. Or wait, no, this is the opposite of that. Yeah. The, the children with the Zika thing. Has a smaller, smaller head. head. This is if you took it to the opposite end of the spectrum. So anyways, uh, these children, and they were kept in Junction Insane Asylum near Felt Mansion. Now, after years of abuse in the asylum, the children were released to the forest in Saugatuck Dunes State Park, and some of them were said to have taken up residence at Felt Mansion when it was abandoned. The story then takes an even darker turn, saying that the Melonheads conceived a plan to return to the asylum and kill the doctors that had abused them. After the murder, the Melonheads allegedly dismembered the doctors and hid pieces of the remains in every corner of Bell's mansion. 
As such, Felt Mansion is said to be haunted by the melon heads and bodiless doctors. Visitors who have visited the mansion have reported seeing ghostly figures of children with an unusually large head. Voices of children running down the hallway were also heard by staff working in the mansion. Apart from sightings of the melon heads in self-estate, many have also reported seeing groups of children lingering in the woods throughout the area. In spite of the popularity, popularity of folklore, it is believed to be just that. This is one of those stories that comes with a massive caveat because, well, it's honestly, it's a complete fabrication. It's an interesting horror-like story, but this is one that you should not even take with a grain of salt. It's a complete fabrication because going back and searching through historic archives, you'll find that there's not even like any record of this junction of St. Asylum. The place did not exist. It was not used to house the supposed melon heads. It's just something that somebody thought would make for a very creepy horror story. And in that sense, they are correct, but... And make an awesome horror movie. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Nope. This case, it's a little bit of a fabrication, although you can, I believe, find the melon heads in facts of American folklore in other places. So It's not at this location. Yes. Now, that said, that doesn't mean that Felt Mansion isn't haunted. Felt Mansion definitely has some something going on there. It's not disembodied doctors. Yes. Now, it is believed to be haunted by the spirit of Agnes Felt, the uh, unfortunate woman who passed away only six weeks after moving into the mansion. Now, visitors to the historic mansion have reported seeing a lady walking along the hallway before disappearing into walls. Volunteers working on the restoration of the mansion have also heard doors open and close on their own on the second floor. It seems that Agnes may have had some say in how the mansion is decorated as well. In one incident, an employee was setting up decorations for the Christmas holidays when a red rug laid out in Agnes's bedroom was mysteriously rolled up. After multiple occurrences of finding the rug rolled up, the employee grew frustrated of what she thought was a running prank. She returned to the bedroom for one last time and was shocked to find the rug completely gone from the room, only to see it laid out neatly in another bedroom on the same floor. After establishing that there was no way that any living person could have done this without her noticing, she became a believer in the spirits that have long been said to wander the Felt Mansion's rooms. Another story tells of unexplained behavior in the lights in the yellow and blue bathroom on the second floor. Despite turning the lights off in the bathroom several times, they repeatedly turned back on by themselves. An electrician was called in to inspect the lights and was completely dumbfounded by what they found. There wasn't anything wrong with the wiring for the lights. As a matter of fact, the lights were not wired up at all. No power. Lights should not be operable. Yes, come on, they would. And now looking into the third floor of the mansion, we find the sprawling ballroom. It's here that shadowy figures will sometimes be seen dancing off the walls, perhaps echoes of celebrations long past. Today, the Felt Mansion is open for tours and available for rentals, though their focus is on the glamorous wedding market. You'll find no mention of the paranormal on their website, so tread lightly and be respectful if you're inclined to check the place out for its spooky side. It is a beautiful place. Absolutely gorgeous. All right, so now we're going to look at the Landmark Inn in Marquette. Uh, this is in the Upper Peninsula, affectionately known as the UP. 
We land in the city of Marquette on the shores of Lake Superior. We find the Landmark Inn, which opened its doors on January 8th of 1930. The establishment, which had been almost 20 years in the making, offered the guests a large assortment of rooms and services like none other in the area at the time. From 1930s through the 1960s, the hotel stood at the epicenter of downtown Marquette's social scene. The guest history includes visits from Amelia Earhart in 1932, who stayed in room 502, while in town for a speaking engagement. In 1942, amidst the World War II, Abbott and Costello played at the hotel when in town to perform the, at the American Legion. In recent years, many more notable people have stayed at the hotel, including novelist Jim Harrison and astronaut Jerry Langer. Many of those who have been in town uh, actually for speaking engagements for North, at Northern Michigan University. Other visitors and guests include Jimmy Stewart, George C. Scott, the Rolling Stones, Maya Angelou, and many, many more. Today, many of the restrooms at the Landmark Inn bear the names of some of those famous guests, along with um, the notable individuals who have called the UK home over the generations. As with many notable hotels in the first half of the 1900s, the Landmark Inn gradually fell into disrepair, before closing its doors in 1982. Fortunately, the shuttered hotel survived long enough to be rescued and restored in 1995, reopening its doors two years later. It once again stands amongst the most notable hotels in downtown Marquette. As with many of the hotels that played host to Council of Souls over numerous generations, the Landmark Inn is said to have some people who may have checked in, but never checked out. Landmark Inn has been rumored to be haunted by several different individuals throughout history. Many simply visit the inn while traveling, while others work at the inn, and even a few paranormal teams have actually set up an all-night investigation. Sorry. And uh, walked away with what they believe to be evidence of the hauntings of the Landmark Inn. The first story we have dates back to the earliest days of the establishment in the 1930s. In this era, it was common for ships to come in and out to the bay, delivering and picking up merchandise. One crew member of one of the boats frequented the city a lot. He would visit the local library and become the center of attention for one of the employees at the library. Eventually, the lady librarian and worker from the ship became friends. Naturally, over time, their love for one another was expressed, and they made plans to spend their lives together. The decision was made that they would go ahead and reside in the town of Marquette once they were married. The boat worker decided that it was best to give proper notice to the boat for which he had worked so that the position could be replaced properly and to collect his last payroll prior to officially resigning. Once he did this, his plan was to come back and let the woman that he had fallen in love with. As he sailed for the last time, the ship wrecked due to a storm, and he passed away. As the couple had been making their plans to settle in Marquette, they frequently would meet on the sixth floor of the Landmark Inn, and it said that the lady returned there to mourn her loss after receiving word of her love's passing. Perhaps it was her heartbreak that led to her passing a short time later. Today, her apparition wanders the sixth floor and continues to mourn her loss particularly in the lilac room, which she is often seen gazing out of the window. While the morning woman is, not, uh, is the most notable paranormal occurrence in the lilac room, she's not the only one. Many strange and unexplained phenomena have been experienced in the lilac room over the years, with one of the strangest being reported by hotel staff. The phone from the room often rings to the dispatch board for the operator, 
This wouldn't be unremarkable except for the fact that the room is locked and no one is residing in it when the calls are made. Is it the morning woman possibly trying to get some attention? Or might it be someone or something else? In another truly bizarre incident, a man angrily contacted the front desk to report that the screws had been made, uh, had been made into his bed just under the sheet. Needless to say, this was not part of the standard housekeeping routine. There was no logical explanation for the presence of the screws. And other weird events in the lilac room include unusual uh, creaks, inexplicable shadows, and the occasional disembodied voices. For some reason, since 2003, there has been a marked decline in the number of paranormal re uh, reports coming from the lilac room. Maybe the spirits there are finally finding some rest, or perhaps they just get weary of a steady stream of paranormal investigators coming in and trying to talk to them. Whatever the reasons, the stories from the lilac room carry on and are likely to be forgotten, are unlikely to be forgotten anytime soon. Moving on to the basement, it is rumored to host a tragic spirit as well. The hotel's many years of planning and construction can be attributed to the many business interests that had come and gone from the project over the years. The main purpose of the hotel in its earliest days had been to host the visitors from the East Coast who would come to Marquette to check on mineral and lumber interests in the region. Even before the hotel was finished and officially opened for business, many of these visitors would come into the partially built structure and conduct business meetings during the day and to party at night. When the sun would set, the whiskey would flow, and the ladies of night would join the festivities and engage in their own business. One of the most sought after women was said to have gotten involved with a bit of a pillow talk that ultimately turned into turned a daytime business dealing uh, in the favor of one of the negotiating parties. The man who came out on the short end of the deal fell into a rage once he discovered how this deal had been turned against him so badly. He immediately sought out the woman and murdered her. Another version of the story says that the murderer wasn't driven by a broken business dealing, but rather he was jealous of the woman's other customers, and he took his rage out on her. In both cases, the murderer took advantage of the unfinished hotel by burying the woman's body in the basement. The crew that worked to complete this area often reported hearing the crying and faint whispers of a female who appeared to urge them towards her. It's unclear what ever became of the woman's body or the man that unceremoniously buried her there. <laughs> Just passing through. <laughs> okay. I guess that means I'm allowed to take a drink. <laughs> That's a very common occurrence here. <laughs> yes. Okay, moving back to the common areas, uh, many hotels, of course, will have a bar where a weary traveler can grab an easy drink before where they can socialize with fellow travelers from near and far. The Landmark Inn has the Crow's Nest restaurant and bar on the sixth floor, with a view out onto the waters of Lake Superior. With its views, the social scene that it provided uh, was very, made it a very popular place for many, many years. And it was here that a guest on his post-renovation era recalled a visit many years earlier in the pre-renovation old hotel. The woman recalled a visit to the crow's nest, and she was dining with her husband, noticing another woman standing at the bar. Her attention was drawn to the other woman because her skirt was being pulled out like someone was examining the fabric, but nobody was there. She thought she might have imagined it, and so she had her husband look, and once again, it happened just so that the fabric was patterned with lilacs, the same flower that's of the infinite lilac room named after. Coincidence, or did the 
spirit of the lilac room decide to take us in the social scene for the evening and get sidetracked by the woman at the bar with the lilac skirt. In a separate incident, a bartender was closing up for the night and went out when then out of the corner of her eye, she caught the motion on the wine rack. A red glass uh, slowly slid to the edge of the rack before falling and smashing on the bar back. Stunned, she walked and watched as a second glass slowly followed too. After that, she ran out, locking the door and leaving the mess to be cleaned up for the next day. These and other reported paranormal incidences have begun have been going on for now, well, over 100 years within the walls of this inn. If you're looking for a haunted place to stay in Michigan, Upper Peninsula, there's a few places that are suited to satisfy your taste for the paranormal, but this would probably be a good one to start with. There are a few places that are suited yeah. to... I just read that, sorry. Yeah. You, you just the emphasis on the wrong part. <laughs> That's okay. I did not... I did not put in... Uh, um, what is it, uh, inflections? No, you did not. I did not. I, I, I suppose I, no, I spend enough time editing. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, I spend probably eight, ten hours per script editing. Probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, not about to go in and say, emphasize this word in the sentence. All right, anyways, moving on. Now, moving on, we're not moving very far. We are going to stay in Marquette, and we're just going to move a few short blocks away from the landmark inn, and it's there that you will find the former Holy Family Orphanage. Now, you know it's already going to be freaky. We're orphanage, haunted orphanage. It's a ghost kid. Ghost kid. You need to say anything else. It's one of my weaknesses. You know, I like spooky stuff. Ghost kids is generally where I draw the line, and no, we're here with a haunted orphanage. I'm good. Mm, you're making me read it. Yes, I am. So, anyways, this institution could easily have served as the inspiration for so many lackluster orphanages that appear in pop culture. Frederick Ives, a bishop with the Marquette Catholic Diocese, petitioned for the building's construction in the early 1900s when two other orphanages in the Upper Peninsula had reached capacity. The cost to build it, reaching up to, towards $120,000, was astronomical for typical expenses when it was erected in 1915. But it soon saw a return on that investment, becoming the region's biggest orphanage and housing up to 200 children at once. Enter bad reputation stage left. Originally, Holy Family was meant to just serve white children who either lost their parents or were abandoned by them. Now, that sounds bad enough on its own, but the first residents actually came as overflow from the orphanage and in uh, Assassinians. Assassinians? There's another town which, with a name I can't quite pronounce. It's kind of like assassins if you took out the second ASS and just kind of scrunched it together. Athens? I don't know. Any case, it has a sordid past of all its own. Eight nuns arrived in Marquette with control of 60 Native American children, all of whom had been ripped from the arms of their parents in this uh, other uh, orphanage as babies in the continuing effort to assimilate Natives into mainstream society. Bad government. Bad juju all over the place, people. Ugh. 
Hmm. Anyways, locals today still tell stories of how their parents were stolen from their native families, placed in the orphanage, and then adopted out to white families, never learning of their original heritage or customs until late adulthood. Now, it was a tough life with days filled by church, class, and chores at the orphanage. There was a lot of praying and even non-Catholics be they Native American or Protestant, were forced to follow the exact same regimen. At 6 a.m., they had breakfast. At 9 a.m., they had class, with some of the afternoon set aside for play. Late in the day, some children had chores taking care of the various livestock in and around the building, while others cleaned. After a bath, the children would retire to their dormitories until the next day, and so time went on. But underneath the unending daily cycle was something much more sinister, because what we've discussed isn't bad enough already. During this time, rumors began to circulate of the horrible abuse and neglect suffered by children at the hands of the Holy Family Orphanage caretakers, with many victims being subjected to cruel and extreme forms of discipline as punishment for breaking rules. Former children of the orphanage, once grown and moved out, often refused to speak of their time there, save to say that the nuns were cruel and inflicted unsettling punishments on the children. They heard of other children in the orphanage being beaten to death or left out in the cold Michigan winters. One story that has been passed around but has only been somewhat proven is that of a small girl who went out to play during a snowstorm. The weather quickly took a turn for the worse, and the girl became lost. One of the nuns had to rescue her, but by the time she got to her, the girl had developed pneumonia. She passed away a few days later. The nuns were still angry about her excursion out during winter and decided to make an example of her. They left the body on display in the lobby. Every child was forced to view the girl and be reminded about what could happen to them where they could disobey and go out in bad weather. Former residents confirmed that the death did indeed take place and the nuns held a funeral for the girl in the basement. None, however, would say whether the body was actually put on display. So take that as you will. Others report telling of a young boy who suffered a mysterious fate. The general consensus is that he either drowned or was beaten to death, and the nuns tried to cover it up. They reported his death as accidental and stored his body in the basement. Holy Family's checkered past means it's a magnet for ghost hunters and fans of the paranormal. One spirit said the haunt location is that of a young boy who was, uh, well, the one that was allegedly beaten to death, as well as a number of other children who passed away under suspicious circumstances. Students from the nearby college would often head out there at night to try and experience something. Can you say hazing ritual? And all too often, they did. One woman mentioned sneaking in with friends only to see an empty baby carriage mysteriously roll across the floor with no explanation. Others hear the sounds of children crying from the lobby where the little girl was allegedly left for everyone to see. And in the basement where the boy's body was hidden, many have reported a glowing green orb encompassing a medical-style table. Locals frequently see lights flitting around inside the building after dark with no logical explanation. In response to one paranormal team's research findings, a local resident claims to have gone with the medium. They were overcome with a freezing blast of air and a deathly smell that made the medium vomit. The final orphans left the building in 1967. 
a group of Cuban refugee children fleeing from Fidel Castro's regime. In the 1980s, the building was completely abandoned, soon falling victim to a bankrupt owner who lived out of state and didn't want to sell. As of late 2017, the orphanage has been purchased and remodeled into, you'll never guess, its apartments. Yes, people are living in this nightmare of a location. It is the Grandview Apartments. Grandview. A modernized building with 56 apartments and views of Lake Superior from the top floor. That's where the Grandview is. Nowhere else. Mm. Many residents living at the Grandview Grandview Marquette Apartments have also reported hearing the disembodied sounds of children laughing or crying, witnessing glowing orbs and flickering lights, or experiencing other unexplained paranormal phenomena, such as objects being moved by an unseen entity or feeling a strange presence. Don't feel too bad for these latest residents, though. After all, the children were there first. That's why you always do your research before you sign a lease. Just saying. A drink. And good night, DJ. Uh, we saw that you had to sign off. Uh, you can always watch this a little bit later uh, and catch the recording as we do posting to this forever. All right. And Patrick, this is Vincent, who is on my lap right now, and he just wants his cuddle time. His brother is going in and out of the tower. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to the next place that I want to go visit. Um, this is the Henderson Castle in Kalamazoo. And this is at the northern edge of the Upper Peninsula. Uh, sorry, from the northern edge of the Upper Peninsula. We are going back down south to south central uh, Michigan with Kalamazoo. Here on the hillside along Main Street stands this exquisite piece of history looking down on downtown. The historic work of architecture is the Henderson Castle and it was established in 1895. The castle has been recently renovated and is now under new ownership since 2011 and it's open as to the public as a resort and spa. One of uh, this home Excuse me, the story of this home actually starts with Kalamazoo resident Frank Henderson. Mr. Henderson was one of Kalamazoo's most successful businessmen. Uh, he was the owner and the president of the Henderson Ames Company, which made a uniform uh, regalia for secret societies, fraternal organizations, and the military. Mr. Henderson's wife, Mary, inherited a plot of undeveloped land on the western edge of Kalamazoo before the company's large success, and Mr. Henderson drew dreamt of building a grand suburb on this land. Allowing that dream to come true, uh, come to fruition in 1888, he enlisted the help of surveyors, engineers, and landscape architects to the plot, uh, the land out and create Kalamazoo's first natural site plan. In 1890, Mr. Henderson was ready to build his home in his new residential district. The Queen Anne style house cost $72,000 to build and the finished estate included seven baths, with uh, one with 13-headed shower, uh, an elevator, a third-floor ballroom, a hot tub on the roof. The castle's exterior was constructed of, of Lake Superior sandstone and brick, and the interior wood was mahogany, bird's-eye maple, quartered oak, birch, and the American sycamore. The castle was built with 25 rooms in all and exemplified the most expensive taste of the time. 
Mr. Henderson had a grand housewarming party in 1895 and the completion of the castle's construction. Mr. Henderson, however, did not live long in the residence. He died in 1899, and his wife remained in the castle until 1908. After Mrs. Henderson moved away, the castle changed hands several times, and in 1953, the house was purchased as the future site for Kalamazoo Art Center. However, when the Institute of Arts remained downtown in Kalamazoo, the castle became the property of the renowned liberal art school at Kalamazoo College, which lies just a block to the north of the castle grounds. The castle had hosted the production of three movies, all of which were horror films. Because, of course. So, called the Jewel of Kalamazoo, it ranks the top historic inns in Michigan by AAA, and the grandeur of this 11,000 square foot Queen Anne style mansion offers an intriguing blend of the architectural, artistic, and in- antique, as well as modern amenities. It includes wireless access for business travelers, heated marble floors, crystal chandeliers, gorgeous leaded and stained glass windows, fiber optic accents, a sauna, a steam room, as we mentioned, that rooftop hot tub, and uh, the castle, of course, is now a haven in the city and a romantic dream come true. Have I mentioned I want to go? We need to, like, rent the whole place out and, like, have a party. I think we could have, you know, a lovely paranormal investigation gathering there. All right. <laughs> well, let's get through Key West first. Yes. All right. So, Anderson Castle is now owned by Master Chef Francois Mayotte, and it operates as a full inn with a chocolate restaurant, organic garden, vineyard, and day spa. The restaurant is open daily for breakfast, high tea service, and tours. And, of course, your dinner services are available several days of the week. Although presently the popular getaway spot, this place is also reported to be occupied by the ghost of the original family, who represents apparently to attempt to communicate with the guests. The guests have reported sensing unexpectable presences and even feeling taps on their bodies while sleeping. As you might expect, there are the spirits of Frank and Mary Henderson, the castle's original owners, but there's also the spirit of Claire Burley, a Spanish-American war veteran who excuse me, served with the Henderson sons. There's also the spirit of at least one unidentified child, a little girl. And there's also a spirit of a dog. That one's for you, Patrick. (laughs) Some of the paranormal experiences that the guests and the paranormal investigators alike have encountered in the castle include finding a framed picture with the name Claire freshly written on it in the dust, presumably a reference to Burley. A number of EVPs in which a voice is heard on the recorder, including a woman's voice saying flowers and candy after the flowers and candies were presented as a tripper object during an investigation. A travel writer for the Detroit Free Press noted her own experience on the second floor in the Dutch room, where someone or something tapped her on the arm and spoke to her from the darkness. A woman's voice was far from welcoming uh, with a firm go away. The writers uh, spent several minutes confirming that she was not dreaming and that she was most definitely alone in the room. After noting her experience in an article that she wrote, she heard from other previous guests of the castle who had had almost identical experiences. Some of the last residents of the home before its conversion to the resort had their own experiences. Peter Livingstone McNellis has said the former and current staff members and even his own son had experienced unexplained phenomenon in this house. 
Though aside from the occasional odd sound and doors popping open once in a while, he never has had an experience. When Peter's son, Vincent, was seven or eight years old and before anyone else had ever reported anything strange happening in the house, said he saw an apparition of a figure in the Victorian room, which was originally the changing room for Mary Henderson. Vincent told his father that the woman like, looked like one of the one on the uh, picture on the wall. That picture showed women in period clothing. And period, Peter came to the conclusion that if any woman of that period would be haunting the house, it's most likely Mary. Well, staff at the castle haven't reported experiences like visual as visual as Vincent's over the years. There have been instances of the unexplained. One former innkeeper who stayed in the castle each night told of numerous occasions where she felt the presence coming up and down the staircase and moving past her on those stairs. Another uh, led some guests through the maid scullery into the dining room, and when she went out through the back back through the kitchen and up. All the upper cabinet doors and the scullery had been opened, an event that couldn't possibly be explained reasonably with those upper cabinets as they are 12 to 15 feet up in the air. Can't need a ladder. The current owner, Chef Moyer, has heard much of the experiences of his staff, and he hasn't had any experiences of his own. One crossbeam in the dining area has had strange markings that look like writing. I has heard of a medium that once envisioned a small girl falling off scaffolding while riding on the beam with her finger. He says the markings remain, and even after a series of restorations, the handwriting always seems to come back. I also recalled that during renovations, the construction crew found a jewelry box underneath the flooring upper room that connected Frank and Mary's room. Before that, the door was opening all the time, in the cabinet, but since the discovery of the jewelry box, the activity associated with the cabinet and the adjoining room has drawn to a halt. The stairways are also hot spots for ghostly apparitions and noises. Guests of paranormal investigators uh, both have captured images of faces in the beautiful stained glass window. Tapestry, pictures, paintings, and other antiques adorn every wall in the castle, many of which have a story to tell. Some of the images even portray alleged paranormal phenomenon. It's not just the paranormal enjoying their stay, though. When he says the guests commonly talk about how sometimes, how time seems to slow down while they're in the castle. With how many nooks and crannies there are to explore, there's sure to be something for everyone to appreciate. Going down time while you're on vacation there? Okay. Mm. I'm good for that. You know, I never thought that Kalamazoo was going to make my list of places to visit, but... Yeah, this place I definitely want to go to. We might check this out. Regardless of the nature of the experiences, one thing seems common among those who experience them. Aside perhaps from the Traveler's Writers' dreamlike experience with the Dutch Room, the incidences with the unexplained at the castle are never described as being creepy or disturbing. Peter Livingston McNellis says that all of their encounters with were with good energy, and while the tribal rider didn't receive the warmest of receptions in the Dutch room, she called the atmosphere of the castle very warming. On the whole, the alleged paranormal activity never appeared malevolent and, uh, to anyone who has witnessed it. So if you're looking for a spooky but maybe not quite terrifying place to stay in Kalamazoo, booking a room at the Henderson Castle might just be the experience you're looking for. So, yes, maybe a possible next trip. Possibly, yes. <laughs> Fuzzy Chaos, band name for the fur children. <laughs> I think 
a good one for them because they are fuzzy care. Yes, they are. That was actually the last story for the season. Yep. This that was a double one. I really like this one. Yeah. I I you know Michigan you know it's I, I've always Michigan's always been is is always associated with just Detroit because car manufacturers Ford General Motors and all that just Detroit and Detroit certainly has a very high standing in Americana and American history with what has transpired there over the years and the absolute mass of the industry that has come out of that city. But the state overall, it's It's a beautiful state. I mean, honestly, like I got interested in possibly visiting the beaches of uh, Michigan after I saw, I hate to say it, American Pie. Uh, two, by the way. You have the DVD. I do. Uh, but I mean, if you look at if you look at the beauty of that beach that they're on in that movie, it's incredible. And I'm like, hmm, maybe we need to go visit this. And then I've been just researching from that point onward. There's a lot of really cool like hiking and other things that, uh, in and around that area. And I'm like, yeah, we need to maybe go visit Michigan. Who knows? We uh, next spring supposedly next April they may may finally have the scares that cares Wisconsin back on track. Yeah, so maybe we'll take a road trip and drive out there. Yep. Partially. Partially, we'll we'll see how it plays out. First of all, we have to they have to confirm that they're actually going to have it. But um, so you know, a little heads up because it's actually it's right around the corner. It it's is. like it's three months or no, two months from now. Yeah. Two months from now. Roughly two months and a couple of days is going to be um, Scares the Care convention down in Williamsburg. And we are once again going to be, um, we're very thrilled to be one of the sponsors for the event. Um, the so it will be July 29th through the 31st. That, that last full weekend of July. And we are going to be there. Um, the main thing is that we sponsored the Scares the Care 5K and Kids Fun Run, which is on Saturday morning but we kind of kick up our sponsorship level and we wind up being there all weekend. So it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be there. We'll have a, a vendor table there inside the main concourse. Mm-hmm. We'll be outside for the fun run and the 5K and all that good stuff. Chris will be running. Yeah, uh, hopefully. No, I'm in terrible condition. I thought I was in rough shape last year. I Once this is all good to go, I need to um, get my button gear. But anyway. That's a um, that's something else altogether. Um, they um, be right in 2020. Yeah, it was 2020. They were supposed to have their first inaugural Scares That Care Wisconsin convention, yeah. which would be in April. But uh, unfortunately, as we all know, the COVID hit. The COVID, and it got canceled. It got canceled in 2020, 2021, 2022, and now it may. Yeah, they're, may look, they're talking about it. It happening, but we're waiting for the final confirmation from the hotel to make sure that everything is good to go. And mm-hmm. uh, 2023, we're fingers crossed. Yep. And so, if that happens, we may uh, we may find ourselves up there. Not we wouldn't sponsor an event all the way up in Wisconsin. We would go for fun. Yeah, we would go for fun. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could throw a few bucks at an ad or something. We'll see what they may have for opportunities. But whatever, because just because we love them, not because we'd actually expect to be drawing massive hordes of guests from Wisconsin through our ghost tours here. That'd be awesome. It would be awesome. But anyways, I digress. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, hopefully that will actually happen this next year. And once we get confirmation, we might be planning a little bit of a spooky road trip. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, because, yeah. But definitely come check us out in Williamsburg this summer. If you've never been, it is yeah. a fantastic court, um, and it's just a warm, welcoming weekend. Yeah. Uh, also, we got Honda Q West coming up this coming December. Um, if you are wanting to go with us, you need to book by July because after July we have to release all of our hotel rooms that are not sold. Um, so please um, hop on our website, click on our Haunts of Key West um, link, and go ahead and book your room for that. Again, it is the first full weekend in December, Friday through Monday. We uh, are staying at Haunted Location. We are going to eat at First uh, Flight Brewery. We have two investigations set up. The days right now are yours. We don't have anything specifically planned, uh, so you can explore Key West at that point in time on your own, and you are more than welcome to ex uh, extend your trip on one side or the other. The Holiday Maker um, travel agency that we're working with will help you with that. Uh, so uh, now two things. First of all, I did just post a link to there is a group page for the Scares the Care Charity Week in Williamsburg. And you can go there. There are people post stuff and questions about it all the time. Um, and, uh, and you can see who we have coming in uh, guest-wise, both author and um, movie slash TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a big EP reunion there. Mm -hmm. um, so you can go ahead. You can check that out. Now, Al posted an excellent question. Do you remember if you get a fundraiser page for the Scares the Care 5K, so you can raise money as the date approaches. I do know that um, there are running groups. Yeah. Um, and you can go to, let me see, I think I can actually post. Here's the care. Ah, yes, the event. Here's the care charity 5K and kids fun run. This is a link to the event page, I hope. Yes. Um, that uh, you can go in, you can see um, there will be a link to um, uh, the actual event sign up so you could go and you could sign yourself up for the race. Now, I will say signing up for the race does not necessarily mean that you actually have to run. You can do a virtual race. You can do a virtual race, which is, um, they call it their uh, spirit walkers. Yep. Um, I think I got that right. Yep. Spirit yep. walkers. So you can sign up. You can pay the run fee. Um, as a spirit walker, you would get the race T-shirt and actually the completion medal as well, which is going to be this year. It's a black cat. It's black cat. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to getting this uh, the medal and the shirt for this year. It's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of fun. But um, anyways, if you can't actually make it to the event or if you're just not much for running and you like the T-shirt, you like the, uh, the medal, you can sign up. You can get the race swag, support the event, mm -hmm. and not actually run or run it at your own time. So yeah. um, that is an excellent way to sign up um, to be able to support the event. And you can also... Um, again, I think that there are some groups that have signed, uh, have set up pages so that you can um, donate to a specific, like, runner and support their run. Yeah. Um, we personally have not done that. That might be something that we should do. I'm, I'm not too late to do it for this year, I guess. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can. Um, and uh, if it, I don't know if it's too late for this year. I'll see about doing it for next year because – this is not going to be the last year that we uh, do this. Event. Oh, no, we're going to be continuous sponsors yep. for as long as we possibly can. Yep, and Patrick checked. The link works, so thank you for that. Um, but, yeah, so um, you can definitely come check us out at uh, 
here's the care in a couple months, and not just check us out, but check out all the awesome stuff that goes on there. And, uh, yeah, Beth mentioned all the stuff that we've got going on in Key West for the first weekend of December, which we are super stoked about. Looking forward to that. Not too late to sign up, but the clock is kind of ticking a little bit because we do have to give up our block of hotel rooms, I think, around the end of July. Yes. So, so please sign up for that. And we just got really cool gear that we're going to bring you down with us. So. Yep, yep. So we got some gear to share. If you don't have gear for yourself, uh, we'll have some gear to, um, to to share for anybody that wants to come down and do the investigation stuff with us. Uh, so, yeah, we got all that going on. Um, we got Marshall Tours coming back this yes. next month, yep. uh, June, July, and August. We will have one uh, night every single month that um, we will have two tours a night. So if you have not had a chance to catch that during the winter, you can catch it during the summer. Yep. So that'll be awesome. And uh, so this weekend is the quote unquote last weekend of us doing Thursday through Sunday. Yep. Because next week, right after we Memorial, tilt. we go full tilt Wednesday through Sunday, and that will be uh, we'll have tours going every every night Wednesday through Sunday through the summer months right up to Labor Day. September, we take a little bit of a breather, catch our breath. Tours will just be Friday and Saturday in September as we. Um, you know, get, get ready for get ready for the month. Prime spooky season. <laughs> it's always spooky season here at Haunts of Richmond, but we recognize that we are kind of a subset of the um, populace, and not everybody celebrates spooky season 365 days a year. We respect that and everybody's individual choices, but uh, we decor yeah. all year round. Yes, so, as you can see. <laughs> so yes, we are gonna we're gosh, it's uh, gonna be a, an uh, amazing, very busy. Um, several months ahead of us. Yep. But we're looking forward to it, and we hope to be able to see you all very soon. And uh, keep an eye on the newsletter. We'll be back in two weeks with... Libraries? I think it is Haunted Libraries. Haunted Libraries, and then it's Haunted Vancouver, and then Haunted... Uh, not Vancouver, Victoria. Uh, Victoria, and then Haunted Alaska. Yep. So. Haunted Alaska, I have yet to post on the Facebook page, but I am going to get there. The next two shows are posted on the Facebook page, though, so you can go, you can if you're interested or going to said um, Facebook Live event over the next uh, two weeks and four weeks, respectively. Now, we did um, kind of shorten up, so we're going to back-to-back episodes um, because of a trip we have taken. So uh, Victoria and Alaska will be back-to-back weeks. Yep. So we've got a lot of work to do. In the next five weeks, we have three three shows. Yep. So, uh, But we're, we'll be back here in two weeks. We hope to see you all in person really soon on a tour or maybe down to Scares the Care or something like that. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll see you all later. We'll go ahead. We'll check out for this evening. Thank you all so much for watching. And uh, we uh, hope to hear from you all soon or see you all soon. And just because we're done for tonight and if you can't necessarily make it to a tour, we are always happy to hear from you. You can always shoot us a note, you know, via Facebook Messenger or send us an email or something like that. We love chatting with y'all. So with that, we'll see y'all later. Y'all have a good night. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.